right. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Good to see everybody today. All right, thank you guys. Can you guys hear me all right? All right. Well, yeah, definitely good to be here. Definitely really cool to see everybody here. Um, feels kind of strange. I'm not going to lie. I've not been up here in a very long time. And uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, right? I mean, it might be good for my rest um, because I know there go, there's a lot of prepara preparation that goes not only into worship, but naturally also into the messages that Franklin, Pastor Henry, and, you know, um, anybody kind of produces, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it feels kind of strange. feels good, but kind of weird, all right? And I feel like that's very much a depiction of our relationship with God. It feels good, but he asks us sometimes to come outside of our comfort zone, which can feel weird, right? He tells us to be something a little bit different, a little bit better. And even when we get to a stage of being a little bit different and a little bit better, he repeats himself to say, well, be a little bit different and be a little bit better, right? So anyway, that's just my confession to you guys. It has nothing to do with the message, all right? <laughs> so anyway, um, today... Uh, we're going to be making an attempt to define and uh, conceptualize this idea of gratitude. We're trying to um, do it in such a way that it no longer meets our standards, but rather it comes, on to, it comes to par with God's standards. Right? That's why I believe we kind of all come to church on Sunday. That's why we go to life group. That's why we... Uh, read the Bible. That's why we pray, right? To come outside of ourselves and to hopefully assume a better position, a more godly position, a more Christ-like position. Often, we are reflections of our compounded surroundings. And we react based on those many good and bad experiences. These reactions are often displayed through a variety of vehicles that we label as emotion. And though there are hundreds of verses that speak on thankfulness, there are only a few that actually encourage us to be grateful. In light of that, and before we dive into scripture, I think it is important for us to properly understand the difference between being thankful and being grateful. This is the part of the message where we sharpen our acts. And so as Abraham Lincoln so eloquently put it, give me six hours to chop down a tree, and the first four I will sharpen my axe. So defining and understanding the nuances within Scripture will further strengthen and provide us with a clearer perspective on how we must move about this world in a manner that pleases our God, in a manner where we can be a little bit better each and every day. And gaining a solid understanding of the differences between thankfulness and gratitude will hopefully enhance the way you read, listen, interpret, and engage with the scriptures. So the question at hand is, what does it mean to have gratitude or to be grateful? And how is it 
or to what degree is it different from thankfulness or being thankful? We're going to look at three definitions to fully understand how gratitude is defined. According to the dictionary, thankfulness is defined as one being pleased and relieved. Very simple definition. Whereas gratitude is defined as the quality of being thankful. Or the quality of being pleased and relieved. So by definition, gratitude isn't being thankful, but rather an aspect, a piece, or the quality within the construction of thankfulness. It's the quality of being thankful. Digging a little deeper, definition number three, quality is defined as the degree of excellence of something. Which further expands on the definition of gratitude to be the degree of excellence, the level of excellence, it pertains to your ability to be thankful. In other words, gratitude is the degree of excellence of being thankful. To paint a better picture, gratitude is what a black belt is to karate. It's what a gold medal is to an Olympian. It's the Stanley Cup in hockey. It's the World Cup in soccer. <laughs> it's the highest honor to a thankful heart. It is a deeper understanding and appreciation for the work of God, the word of God, and the life that you have been given. Additionally, you can say gratitude is excellence to one's average. It's a professional to one's amateur. It's love to one's like. It's passion to one's apathy. It's depth to one's surface. So though gratitude and thankfulness play in the same ballpark, the two are vastly different. And yes, one is better than the other. Being grateful is better than being thankful. But not being grateful does not devalue the importance and necessity to still be thankful. So though grateful is better than being thankful, thankfulness still holds its value. Because it's the beginning point down the journey to becoming grateful. That's the difference between being thankful and being grateful. Are you guys still with me? That was a lot of words. For just, from just little, two little words, that was a lot of words. But we got to really understand what it means when God says, worship me with a grateful heart. Right? What it means when God says, be thankful for what you have. Right? So as Christians, we've evolved with the times using the message provided by God as a beacon to guide the steps and to lead us. Though the world may continue to fill our lives and minds with the newest distractions, it is our duty to further dig deep into the word of God and into the leadings of his spirit. We've just defined what gratitude means, right? 
But how do we go from a spirit of thankfulness to one that is grateful? How do we go from being Christians that drink milk to one that actually eats steak? Or if you're a vegetarian salad or tofu steak, all right? But how do we go from a young, new Christian or a baby Christian to being someone that is more mature in the faith? Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 28, it says, Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show, let us have gratitude. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So for those of us who aren't even serving God, you've already missed the mark. For those of us who are mature Christians and aren't in service to the kingdom, and aren't in service to the ministry, and aren't in service to God, you're still drinking milk. In order to show gratitude for what we have, we must acknowledge and come to grips with what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. As it says in the scripture, since we are beneficiaries of an unshakable kingdom, of an unshakable promise, we should show gratitude which, we can, which can be offered up to God through service with the posture of reverence and awe. But before we can even do that, we as Christians need to do one very important thing, which brings me to step number one. It is to recognize that you suck. I apologize if that offended you. It's to recognize that you are no better than the person sitting next to you. You are not. As a matter of fact, God in Scripture calls us to say, look at yourself as lesser than the people sitting next to you. So you're definitely not better. God says you're not even equal. He says you need to be lesser. And in recognizing that you are no better than the person sitting next to you, you put yourself in a position of humility. You put yourself in a position to no longer care about what others think, but rather only what God thinks. We live in a world where we have everything. And quite often, we do not depend on God to provide for us. But rather, we go to the gods of Amazon and Google and social media and Hulu and the news to provide us with what we need. We are so distracted by what we don't have, we forget to appreciate what we do have. In order to be grateful, we must recognize that God is good in all seasons and to all people and to all things. And regardless of who you are or what you do, you are no better than the person next to you. To further bring this into perspective, let's look at how we as Christians 
ostracize an entire group of individuals solely based on an aspect of their life that we do not agree with. This is the controversial part of the message. All right. Homosexuality is a sin that is openly condemned by many Christians across the board. As a matter of fact, there's scripture that speaks against the act of homosexuality. And though that may be true, as infants in the Christian faith, we clutch to those scriptures as though scripture lives in a vacuum. And we condemn the very creation of God. Not the act, but the person. We condemned the people. We condemn and ostracize this group of individuals in such a way that we begin to believe that God doesn't love them. Who do you think you are? We begin to believe that there is a them and that there is an us in God's eyes. We give off the impression that the God we worship loves us more. At times, the impression that is given is that God hates them. That the body of Christ isn't for them. And that they are defined by a singular action or desire. Even in the language I use to define who I'm referring to, them and us, sounds so divisive. And so far from the gospel that preaches for us to love God and to love others like it. Rather than be grateful for the rather than being grateful for the opportunity to love and showcase God at his finest, we scoff at the very people who God puts in front of us to love first. I believe that God hasn't ordained me, hasn't ordained you, hasn't ordained followers of him to condemn, but he has ordained us to love. He hasn't called us to push people away, but to draw people near. He hasn't called us to re retract the gospel, but to spread the gospel. He hasn't called us to hate, but rather as one body to be at peace. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ wash over your hearts. Let the peace of Christ soak your hearts. Since as members of one body, one entity, one kingdom, you were called or you were challenged to peace. And be thankful. In order to be grateful, you must have self-awareness that you are no better than your neighbor. Whoever the neighbor is. The anger, the hate, and the discomfort you may feel is so far from the definition of peace. And so far from what it means to be Christ-like. In order to be grateful, you have to deepen your level of self-awareness and humble 
yourself to know that you are in no position to be pointing the finger. So step number one on this journey to being grateful is to recognize that you're no better than anyone else. Number two, love is gratitude's secret sauce. The greatest gift we have ever received is the sacrifice God and Jesus Christ made for us. We often, when thinking of the crucifixion, solely focus on Christ and the sacrifice he made. But I want to say that it's God and Jesus who made that sacrifice. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. Now in recent times, um, I've been able to reflect on this piece of scripture with a very different perspective. As you know, uh, I have the uh, great honor and pleasure of being a dad or a father. Uh, Yeah, fun, fun stuff, right? Endless nights, whiny babies, but fun, right? Uh, Everything Elijah does is the best. It's the most precious thing. I am not biased, guys, all right? Everything he does is so precious. And more often than not, my heart overwhelms with love and gratitude for him. I'm thankful for him on a deep level. Regardless of the ups and downs the day may bring, he is a breath of fresh air to me. I am utterly in love with his spirit, his smile, his laugh, his snore, his expressions, his voice, and his innocence. And believe it or not, I love his cry and his whines. I, I, I don't know how long that's going to last, but as of right now, I still like it. Right? I still love it. From his head to his toes, I would do anything to ensure that he is protected, loved, and cared for. That he's given every opportunity to succeed in this world. With that, there was one day when I was uh, watching him as he slept. Because he's so cute, right? And this scripture, John 3, 16, popped into my head. Now, for the most part, when we think of this particular verse, it's often because we are amazed, overjoyed, uh, excited to be alive. We are thankful, um, but I don't think we really know the gravity of what this scripture means. Or at least I didn't. And the paralyzing effect it can have on a person. Normally when you read John 3.16, you don't think of yourself to be in fear and paralysis, right? So as I was watching him and the scripture popped into my head, um, you know, and I recited it and all of that, I asked myself a question. I don't know why I do this, but I, I, do, I do things like this. I asked myself a question in relation to scripture, the scripture, and it, and it said, would you, would me, would Richard, would you, To save the whole world, however many billion people are here, and more, right? So a 
countless amount of people. Would you sacrifice Elijah so that everyone would live? I truly believe this wasn't some arbitrary conversation. I was having with myself a come to Jesus kind of moment. A come to Jesus kind of conversation that reset and reframed my reality in reference to God's reality. What I believe to be a difficult decision in reference to what is an actual difficult decision. What I believe sacrifice to be to what sacrifice actually is. Because if I'm being very honest with you guys, I would not sacrifice Elijah to save the world. I would not. I'm really just not that strong. You see, God, on the other hand, did and always do what we cannot. The craziest, most difficult of decisions he made so that you can breathe the very breath that keeps you alive in this moment. That keeps you alive in that chair. To know that you have the hope for a better future and an eternity in his kingdom. And he did it out of love. He did it for you. Right? The song, he did it for you, he did it for me. He did it. So when you sing those songs, when you worship him, you must not be singing empty words. You need to understand the gravity, the strength, what it takes to sacrifice something so dear. Something that is far more precious than anything. In order for you to live, in order for me to live, Jesus had to die. But before he died, before that all happened, God the Father had to make a heart-wrenching decision to release him from the safety of his home. To go to a foreign place where Christ would be cared for by strangers. Where in his infancy, a king with all the resources in the world would actively seek to murder him. In order for you, sorry. In order for you to breathe and live and have hope in the unwavering promise of eternal life with God, Jesus was raised as cattle, as a lamb to the slaughter. And while being raised to die, he would serve, heal, indulge, debate, protect, defend, and care for the very people that would betray, spit, condemn, hate, and crucify him. You see, gratitude often appears upon the heels of love. And there is no greater love than the sacrifice both God and Christ made for us. And though 
we must be eternally grateful to God, we must also be grateful for one another. For we have been commanded to love one another. We must be grateful for, to those in our lives who have sacrificed precious resources, time, and energy so that we may have the opportunity to be, to be the people we are today. It is through, through the love of those who have come before us that we may be as privileged as we are right now. And as a child of two immigrants, I will never forget the sacrifices that was made for me and my brother. So that we may have a life that is better. Love is gratitude's secret sauce. So number one, you're no better than your neighbor. Number two, love must be present to have gratitude. And finally, number three, you're not born with gratitude. It's a muscle you must train. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. According to research, gratitude helps us restore a balance to our thinking and elevates our moods and prevents negative emotions like resentment, envy, and regret from creeping in. This is according to research. Additionally, the research shows that gratitude isn't something that comes naturally, nor is it easy. But rather, it is something that we must train to be. The passage from 1 Corinthians 9 is a depiction of what it means to train. It's an athlete's passage because it speaks to the work involved in being the best. As Christians, we sometimes feel that God will fight our battles. Just pray, right? God will fight our battles. Day in and day out, as the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy any form of faith, joy, love that people may have, God will fight our battles. That's the excuse. That's what, that's what we rest upon. God, praise be to God, you got this. And we sit back. 
we become lazy. We become inactive. Though God will win the war, it's on us to battle day in and day out as the enemy seeks to end us. Christianity isn't for the faint of heart, but rather for one who likes a good fight. Someone who is ready to not let injustice reign. Someone who is willing to live against the grain. Someone who is comfortable with the uncomfortable. Someone who believes they can and then does. Someone who's willing to train in the secret place so that they could be strong in public. You see, like Paul, we must discipline our minds and bodies and make it our slave so that after we spread the word, whether by speech or by action, we ourselves may not fall prey to the teasings of the enemy. We must run the race in a manner that will get us the prize. Which means we must also train for the race that gives us the strength and ability to actually run it. Whenever I run half a mile, I am gassed out. I'm done. I'm like breathing heavy. Lungs just feel like they're about to explode. Like, I want to just, you know, like, I'm done. I drink, drink tons of water. I'm wheezing. I can barely climb upstairs. It's, it's so bad, right? But if I were to just jump into a marathon or jump into a sprint again against Usain Bolt or Mino, for that matter, there's no way that I will win. I think Kiati will run faster than me. There's no way that I will win. So it's not just enough to say, hey, God, look, I'm running. God's like, you're not even training to run. You've got to do stuff before you run. You can't just get up and run. That doesn't make sense. You're going to gas out. You're going to fall down. You're going to be last. Well, God, you said, well, the last shall be first. He's like, shut up. No, in this situation, you run, you train, and then you run some more. You need, to, you need to follow after Christ as though there were a prize, as though you were competing with everybody else. That the Billy Grahams of the world, and, the, and remember, Jesus Christ was in this world. You're competing against him. Run in a way to beat Jesus. Train in a way to beat Jesus. We must train for the race that gives us the strength and ability, ability to actually run it. And like the race that Paul is referring to, we must train to be grateful with the exact same fervor. To wake up every day and be grateful for, God, for the God we serve, the life we live, the friends we have, and the family we know. As one of the greatest fighters of today's age recently said, I don't throw and hope. I don't throw punches and, I, and hope it lands. 
What I do is I aim and I fire. And so today I challenge you to do the same. Rather than swinging wildly at the enemy, only to gas out after the first round, I challenge you to be more precise. To train by positioning yourself in a manner that reminds you that you're not better than anyone else. You're not better than your neighbor. To remember that without love, we are nothing. So love as though that was the solution to victory. And finally, to be purposeful and train every day to be grateful for the life that God has given you. As Christians, we need to stop throwing punches and hoping for it to land on the enemy. We must be precise. We must be methodical. We must be organized. We must take aim. And we must fire. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today, Lord God. Lord, we are walking down a journey, Father God, in this life that you have blessed us with. With the hope, Father, that your sacrifice has given us. Father God, we are eternally grateful. We are so thankful, Father God, for the sacrifice that you and your son made so that we may live, we may have opportunity that this life is not the end. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you teach us how to be humble, to show humility. Father God, that you reveal in us why it is we are, that, that we are not better than others. Rather, Father God, we, I want to pray, Lord God, that you teach us from a position of humility to love everyone we know, everyone we see, everyone we think about. And through it, Father God, we pray that you teach us how to be grateful. That we train that muscle every day. That we wake up every morning with gratitude in our hearts. With praise on our lips. With the message under our feet. And with the passion to do your will. Father God, I thank you for agape for the friends and family that we have made, Father God. And Lord, we pray that on this day we can start to organize, start to become snipers, Father God, as we aim to take out the enemy, as we aim to do your will, as we aim to build the ministry, Father God, and grow your kingdom. That we don't throw wildly, but we aim and we fire. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.